It's pretty easy to spot a runner in the gym. If they're not on the treadmill, they're the ones lifting light weights, moving quickly from one leg exercise to the next, maybe a little core, and they're out of there in 15 minutes. So what's wrong with that? Well, it's certainly better than the runners who never come to the gym, but it's worth exploring exactly what we are trying to do. Are we actually helping our running and our fitness with a quick gym session? Can we get away with even less? Or should we be treating our strength training with the same intensity as our running? It's no secret that most runners really don't care for strength training. We'd rather be running. But if strength work really is a necessary evil, let's find a way to make it simple, efficient, and effective. Welcome to The Planted Runner. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and my mission is to help you improve your running, your mindset, and your life with science-backed training and plant-based nutrition. On today's show, I'll explore the do's and don'ts of strength training for runners with the help of physical therapist, Victoria Seckley. You'll learn exactly what kinds of exercise you need to do in order to get in and out of the gym fast how your strength training could change over the year, depending on your goals, and how to time your workouts so that they support your running instead of sabotaging it. Victoria is the owner of Train Smart, Run Strong, a New Jersey-based doctor of physical therapy and running coach. She trains runners all over the world with her strength training programs with the goal of keeping them strong, healthy, and training well. And of course, don't forget to stay tuned all the way to the end of the conversation for another Mental Strength Minute to fortify your mind in 60 seconds or less. And now my conversation with Dr. Victoria Seckley. Welcome to The Planted Runner, Victoria. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So you are trained smart, run strong. So we are going to talk today all about getting strong. And first of all, most runners, they know. They know that we should be doing some kind of strength training to support their running. But there's so much information out there. It can get overwhelming. It can be confusing. So what I want to know, I, I want the hack. I want the shortcut. What is the absolute basics that we should be doing each each week? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, that is the question that everyone wants to know the answer to. And I think ultimately because most runners are like, we love to run. We don't really love to strength train. So we want the most minimal amount of strength training possible that will still help and improve our running. And I think that's kind of what I talk about most on my Instagram page and everywhere is sticking to the basics and not overcomplicating things is really the best way to make sure that you are still doing what you need to be doing with your strength training, but not spending hours and hours doing so and not having to really, really make it so complex that it becomes difficult and challenging. And then it starts really affecting your running. And, and, you know, I've seen that happen a lot when workout classes make strength training super complex and confusing for people that it just kind of turns runners off of it. So it definitely doesn't have to be that way. I think it can be very simple, very easy. And I think sticking to the basics is ultimately what gets you there. Do you want me to go over like 
the basics in terms of specific exercises are you looking yes. for? Like yes, time I do. Okay. Yes, yes, I want awesome. the specific exercises and exactly how much time we need. Yes. How fast can we get in and out? <laughs> love it. I mean, I love to say, especially entry-level strength for runners. So this is the runner who, um, I mean, you can be beginner, intermediate, advanced runner, but maybe you are super new to strength training. You don't have to spend more than two to three times a week, more than 20 minutes in that session. And I love to say it that way because I think it just makes it way more doable for someone to have that time frame in their mind and be like, okay, I can get through 20 minutes. 20 minutes is like, you know, 30 minutes is a full half hour. I can get through even a little bit of that. I think it just makes it more accessible to a lot of people. And it really doesn't have to be more than that. And you don't have to be wasting your time doing crazy exercises. So let's go through um, really what the basics of strength training means for run. Mm-hmm. And when we when we talk about that, we really have to think about what running is asking from our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how does our muscular system work while we're running? Obvious, the obvious answer is, you know, our lower body is doing most of the work. And, and that is true. It doesn't mean we don't do any upper body. It just means we probably don't have to be spending, you know, more than 20, 25% of our strength workout on upper body, just for simplicity's sake. I don't think that, you know, runners who do enjoy upper body, I don't think you have to stop doing that. But if you're really trying to do the bare minimum, that's a great way to kind of cut out from your strength routine and spend a little bit less time on that body part. Because the reality is we don't need the strongest biceps to be a really good runner, Mm -hmm. right? So that's just one thing, lower body and really core and trunk movements are going to be a major part of a runner's routine. And the good thing is what we've learned a lot from strength training is the core side of things doesn't necessarily have to be what we think of like as core specifically like planks and side planks. Those are, those are, are good for runners to do. But I think what a lot of runners don't realize is when you do some of the bigger, more complex movements like squats and deadlifts, you're actually working your core in kind of a more functional setting than like a plank or a side plank. So it can, actually be a little bit more challenging for your core to do something like a squat or a deadlift versus a plank. And you're kind of getting two birds, getting two birds with one stone there. So it's like, we, again, going down to the simplicity of how our body moves and how we want it um, working while we're running. We obviously are in an upright position when we're running. We are spending a lot of time on one leg. We don't spend a lot of time on both legs. So single leg movements are really important. Um, And then recognizing that our core, when we're in a plank, isn't we're not on the ground when we're running. So really uh, doing core movements in a more functional position like standing might even be better for you as a runner. So that's a good way that you can kind of combine different exercises and realize like, oh yeah, a squat might be technically for our lower body, but it's also working our core. So we can kind of do both at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so, so, there's so much in there that I want to kind of unpack a little bit. So, you know, so 20 minutes, two or three times a week. So does that mean I can just do an hour on Sunday and call it good? Or what's the difference there? Good question. That's a really good question. Um, I would say no, because you definitely want time and, and, we can kind of break that apart and ask again, like, 
how do we, how does strength affect our muscular system? How do we actively build strength in our muscular system? Like physiologically, how does the muscle change? And that requires a certain amount of load to the muscle to actively make a change plus recovery time. So if you're not, if you're only doing strength once a week and then leaving it after seven days, you're probably not loading enough to actively make change, but you also don't want to be doing, and I see a lot of runners do this too, like strength five or six times a week, because you're probably not loading it enough, A, to make a change because you would be way too sore to be able to do it the next day. And B, you're not leaving enough recovery time. So it's kind of a, a delicate balance between the two. And then obviously, of course, you're balancing that with your running, which we can't ignore. Obviously, when you're running, you are making changes to your muscular system as well. So I generally recommend two to three times a week to allow for recovery, but Mm -hmm. also allow for a proper loading of the muscular system to actively make change. Okay. Love it. Love it. So, you know, we talked about core too. So let's go back into core for a minute because there is a difference between training your abs and training your core. Now, everybody wants those hot abs. You know, we want the six pack. We want to look good in our little running shorts or whatever. But there's a very important difference for runners when, you know, when doing, say, a crunch versus a plank versus a rotational stability movement. Can can you get into some of that kind of stuff? I love this question. I just want to say, and I talk about this a lot, um, just as a physical therapist as well. So let's break down where the word core comes from. Um, well, I'm actually not sure which one came first, the chicken or the egg, but you can kind of make that similarity between the word core and corset. And when you think of a corset, it's not just something in the front of your stomach. Like it's not just your abdominals that you see people saying, Oh, that's a six pack. It goes wraps around your entire body, just like a corset would. And that is what your core is. So it's not just those front abdominals, but you're also looking more into stability musculature, which wraps all the way around to some of your back muscles as well. And that is super important because I think a lot of people are fearful to work their back muscles. They're scared of hurting their back. I know a lot of people who have had back pain who have either unfortunately been told by someone to, you know, not uh, work those muscles for whatever reasons. I hear that all the time. Um, But those muscles are actually very important to work and they're a part of your core. And really what that means is you're looking at more stability in that trunk area versus those flashy six pack abs. Now, I don't think doing crunches are wrong by any means. It's just not going to improve the stability of that whole area, which when we're runners, that's really what we're looking for because we're not looking to do a hundred crunches when we're running. That's not what we're doing. We're looking to be upright and be very efficient and create this powerful base for our legs to be able to push through. And that happens from stability, Mm -hmm. which is really what we get when we work with the muscles all along the area, the front, the side and the back as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. so I, I think that also touches on something that people get kind of confused about. You know, we're upright. We want to be stable. People start to think, oh, I need to be stiff. I need to be clenching my abs the entire marathon. And they're not thinking about, wait a second, we need to be, not only do we need to be stable, but there's some rotation going yes. on there. Can you talk about that? 
Absolutely. Rotation is a super important component of running in general. And when we talk about rotation, it's not like we try to necessarily limit rotation. It's more about how do we control the amount of rotation that we have as runners. And when we're talking about the word control, that's really when we can kind of make that link between, oh, stability and strength. And how are we going to actually control the amount of rotation that we have in a way that works? works best for us. Again, the word efficiency comes up. The more we can control that rotation, not limit it, but be able to make it work for us is through doing certain strength movements that take you through rotation. And that's how your body learns to control that better, Um, which ultimately, again, makes you a much more efficient runner. Efficient means you don't get tired as much and you can ultimately run faster because you're able to really provide that solid base and move forward through that. But I I, just quickly, I want to touch on one more thing you said there, that idea of like stiffness. Um, And I think a lot of that happens when people also don't realize that like breathing becomes an important part of the strength routine. And also when you're running, Um, I think a lot of people kind of hold their breath when they're doing certain exercises to create this I, uh, feeling of stability in that area when really it's, you're just holding your breath to create the stability. You're not actually utilizing your muscles. So if anyone is, feels like they have to kind of clench their abdominals or like actively do that while you're running, I would urge them to work to do more breathing type of exercises, especially when they're doing the traditional core. And that will really help you actually use that area without feeling like you have to clench to use it. That is so uh, interesting because I think people do it, you know, I catch myself doing it sometimes is just you, you're so concentrated on doing whatever the lift is or whatever the move is that you're just like, oh God, I'm going to lift something. I got to hold, you know, kind of hold my breath. And, you know, I, I sometimes have to actively think, okay, exhale, inhale. Does it matter if we exhale on the lift or on the lower? Does that, is it important? Well, so what you just mentioned too, that is an important uh, part of lifting as well. And that's not really what I'm getting at. So what you just described is the Valsalva maneuver, which is like in order to lift a heavy weight, like you can kind of hold your breath in for a second to create more of that stability. That's okay. I think more of what I meant to do is like, if you find yourself holding your breath throughout the exercise or every Mm. time you have to create stability, you're holding your breath, especially for maybe even those easier exercises like bird dogs, dead bugs. If you're lifting a super heavy weight for a second, you might want to kind of create that Valsava maneuver, which will be helpful in your lift, but you're not holding that breath for the entirety of the lift. And you're definitely exhaling on the more difficult portion of the exercise, which kind answers your second question there. Mm-hmm. That's generally what I, when I would have my athletes exhale. Um, but also that translates into when you're running and having a rhythmical breath, uh, breathing pattern when you're running is super important instead of like feeling like you're gasping for air and you have to kind of hold your breath to hold that stability. Good, good. And we don't have to clench our abs the whole time either, right? <laughs> No, we don't. We don't. Please don't. Please don't. Yeah. So, okay. So let's get back to simplicity. So let's say I am, you know, intermediate runner and I want to put together some kind of strength routine. I want to do it, you know, two to three times.
times a week, 15, 20 minutes max. I want to make things as efficient as possible, hit all the birds with one stone. What kind of things am I doing? Yeah. So great question. I think that a lot of it comes down to, again, we have to think of the demands of running. I feel like I was on this track and then <laughs> I got distracted myself, but let's kind of go back to that for a second. So we're talking a lot about single leg. However, I always like to start most of my athletes. So even if you're an intermediate runner, I generally like to start with the basics of the exercises before moving into single leg. And I think that's an important concept is you can stick to the basics of an exercise, but still progress with the exercise and make it into more single leg, but you still have the idea of what the basic exercise is. So when we're talking about an exercise routine for runners, I'm really looking at a couple different things. I want you to have first of all, a, um, an exercise that's like some type of a squat or a step up. So what you're doing, looking at there is you want your knee and your hips to be utilized during that movement. The reason I said step up as well is because sometimes I do like to add like an elevated surface. So you're stepping up onto something that can also be similarly used as like a rear foot, a split squat. So any kind of split squat vary or a squat variation is a really, really great movement for runners to add into their exercise routine. And then eventually with that idea that you're moving into single leg squats, split squats, lunges, the, that type of idea. So definitely number one is some type of squat. Number two is some type of hinge movement. And when we think of a hinge movement, we're really looking at the deadlift there. And the real, the reason I describe it as hinge is because when you're hinging forward at your waist, when you think of a hinge and that specific, um, direction that you're moving, that's really going to ask a lot from not just those big muscles in the back of your legs, so your glutes and your hamstrings, but also what I mentioned earlier, your back muscles. And that's when you can start to really put together, oh, I'm working those muscles because that's going to help me stay stable throughout my hip and throughout my trunk. So any kind of hinge movement, deadlift, we want to move into single leg deadlifts. And, um, I even think like a hip thrust or that type of, um, movement is like a hinge pattern as well. So kind of choosing between those movements and adding any of those into your program and routine is really good to do. Um, the third thing is we want to also talk about more accessory type of movements. And the reason I call them accessory is because they're not as complex as something like a squat lunge or a deadlift. Um, they don't use as many of the big muscles that are involved there, but they're still very important for runners to do. And I'm really talking more about like foot and ankle. Um, Mm -hmm. and when we're talking about foot and ankle, we have to understand the demands of what happens when our foot hits the ground. Our, as soon as our foot hits the ground during a stride, our foot has to become rigid and stable to accept that body weight. Right. And so when we think about that, we think about calf raises, um, we can talk, uh, between, you know, seated calf raises as well. And then anything for the front or the shin muscles. So any kind of um, motion that you're basically lifting your forefoot up, I think can also be important for runners. And that's just going to help you clear the ground a little bit better. Um, So those are really accessory type of 
movements. Um, I also like to group in balance exercises there, but sometimes, you know, if you're already progressing with the squats and the deadlifts and you're making those single leg, you'll probably be getting your balance in there as well. Um, but just kind of like as an extra or an aside, if you want to be working on that. Um, and then we're really talking about, you know, more of our traditional type of core, And that's when I like to include rotational type of exercises, like you mentioned. So any kind of like chopping motion, you can be, you know, a half kneeling chop where you're kind of bringing the weight up and across your body. Um, Any type of like bird dog type of movement that also helps with your rotational core. Um, And then also, you know, side planks, things like that, that can help with a little bit of those rotational um, muscles as well. Mm -hmm. Um, The last thing that I like to add for runners is some sort of plyometric exercise. And plyometrics, I think um, most runners look at this and think, okay, so I need to do a lot of jumping and hopping because running is jumping and hopping. And to that, I say, um, no, not necessarily. First of all, you are probably jumping and hopping a lot with your running already. So you need to kind of be working a little bit more on true traditional strength training. But what I like to do when it comes to specific hopping exercises with my runners is more breaking down the control parts of that motion. So again, working on, um, the power of the jump, the landing of the jump and making sure that you can do that in, in single leg type of phase um, and just kind of progressing from there. Before I get back to the conversation, I want to talk about a massive problem that I see with runners everywhere and especially plant-based runners. You know that I'm the first to tell you that you can absolutely get everything you need from a plant-based diet as an endurance runner, but most runners are struggling. With our busy lives and time-consuming training schedules, making sure that you get enough to fuel your training and making sure that it's actually optimal for your health and performance is a real challenge. So that's why I tell all my athletes to make nutrition simpler and get Neurofi Plus by Prevenex. In less than a minute, you can mix their superior quality protein shake up with just water in a shaker bottle. And it actually tastes delicious. That is not the case with other plant-based powders I've tried. You can enjoy Neurofi right after our workout, knowing you are getting everything you need for muscle repair, with none of the junk that you're gonna get in one of the lower quality powders. Another cool way to use it is to mix up a couple of scoops with water or warm plant-based milk right before bed. Studies have shown that taking 20 to 30 grams of protein right before bed is the optimal time for protein synthesis and muscle repair that we all need. Look, this is the only product that I'm working with, and that's for a very good reason. I believe in Prevenex quality, their mission, and I use Neurofi Plus myself. And I'm not the only one. Lindsay Hine of All Have Another, Jason Fitzgerald of Strength Running, Whitney Hines of The Mother Runners, Elite Athlete, Emily Enfeld, and so many others in the running world are passionate about Prevenex too. If you're ready to simplify your nutrition and optimize your fueling, you can try Neurofi for 15% off the regular price with my code PR15. That's PR15 at Prevenex.com. 
I want to tell you about a unique opportunity for you to get stronger, faster, and stay motivated to hit all your running and nutrition goals this year, and that is to join the PR team. I started it last fall, and I have to tell you, it's even better than I imagined. Each member of the team gets a custom training plan made by me for you based on your unique fitness, goals, and lifestyle. Everything you need to crush your running dreams is included, such as strength training, recovery, and even cross-training if you want it. I include weekly mental strength training as well as tips and nutrition guides. But here's where it gets really cool. The group has its own page in the app where we share workouts, ask training questions, and get feedback from me and the other teammates. And each week, I create an exclusive private podcast just for the team based on the questions I get and what I see in their training each week. And I usually end up sharing behind the scenes and exclusive sneak peeks with the team that I don't share anywhere else. So instead of joining a Facebook group or sitting through another Zoom call, you get to listen to tailored advice on the run and you don't have to do all of this alone. So if you are ready to take your running to the next level and join an amazing team of runners, head to theplantedrunner.com slash group and join us today. It's more affordable than you think and I can't wait to have you. You know, I'm not a fan of New Year's resolutions, except when they're as easy as swapping out that ugly plastic laundry jug for a slim envelope of Earth Breeze. Earth Breeze looks exactly like a dryer sheet, but it's actually a super powerful, ultra concentrated laundry detergent that you toss into your washing machine in any cycle. It gets even my stinkiest running clothes fresh and clean, and there's no more awful orange jug in my laundry room or in the landfill. When you're ready to join me, you'll never run out of detergent again because Earth Breeze has a flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. If Earth Breeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and get a full refund, no questions asked. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash plantedrunner. That's earthbreeze.com slash planted runner for 40% off your subscription. I'm the type of person that prefers relying on good habits, not motivation or inspiration. I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted a simple all-in-one routine that checked all the boxes. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. As a plant-based athlete, AG1 covers my base with high-quality ingredients with adaptogens, antioxidants, and whole food-sourced nutrients. If you want to take ownership of your health this year, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash plantedrunner. That's drinkag1.com slash plantedrunner. Check it out.
Yeah. So a lot of people with the, the plyometrics are thinking, oh my God, you mean I got to jump boxes? Like this is too much, you know, or, or, you know, they think like I'm, you know, 50 years old, 60 years old. I am not yeah. going to jump around in some class and, you, you know, know, do the things that all these 20 year olds are doing. Nope, not going to do it. You know? So what are some simplifications on some of the plyos that we could be doing? Well, that's, first of all, that's totally fair. And to that, I would argue like you absolutely don't have to be doing that. In fact, many runners shouldn't be doing those like hit type of classes where they're jumping every single movement. Again, it's too much jumping. Um, so I really like to, again, kind of simplify it a little bit and make it more like, okay, let's get you comfortable hopping on two legs. Maybe that's literally just hopping up and down. So you can test the springiness of your foot, make moving that into single leg hops. And then, um, you know, something really simple where you don't, you can work on the power of your jump without needing to jump onto a box is more just like squat jumps or lunge jumps. And you can kind of take those bigger movements that you use in your strength training and just turn that into a plyometric. Um, and really that's going to be super helpful if you're working on the power and the control of your ability to land. Okay, great, great. And, and I did want to go back to the deadlift too, because, um, that is one that I get a lot of pushback on yeah. when I talk about the deadlift is because people are like, no way, I can't do that. It hurts my back. I don't know if I'm doing it right. You know, I I don't understand the hinge, you know, yeah. what what's going on, you know, pushing my butt back. What, you know, a lot. And, and it's the deadlift specifically that I'm talking about. But I think really in general, it, it's more of a form question. People are just mm -hmm. like, well, I don't really want to do that because I don't know how to do it safely. I don't understand form. I don't know. You know, I'm just working out in my house. I, I don't know if I'm doing it right. So I'm just not going to do that one. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've gotten that a lot, too. And I actually think I like to kind of flip it around and say, you probably would benefit the most from doing that exercise then. And especially from anyone, like I mentioned, who has had back pain. Every single person as a physical therapist that I've worked with, that is one of the first motions and the first movements that I'm doing with them is some mm. type of like hinge motion. Um, because it is, first of all, an important movement for us to do as humans. E even if we try and break it down, like we are able to move that way which means we're probably supposed to move that way. Like if someone mm -hmm. were to tell you, okay, you can never bend down to the ground ever again, which don't get me wrong. Some people have heard that before, which is chaos to me. Um, and really is makes me very scared for, <laughs> for certain things, but like we are meant to move. We're meant to bend forward. Um, our body is meant to be that way. We can't be scared to work those big muscles that we have in the back. So for anyone who is nervous to try out that movement, I always say, break it down and put it into the most simple pattern that you know. So anyone who's ever been nervous to do a deadlift, I always say, first of all, start on two feet, never start on one. So you're going to start on two feet. Second thing, zero weight when you start. So do not like, obviously do not carry a bar the first time you're, you're going to be right, doing a deadlift. Right. If you're, if you're really nervous to do so, um, start with no weight. And I actually have people use a wall as kind of a good, um, starting point. So they'll stand kind of starting up against the wall and all they need to do is take their back off the wall, leave their butt on the wall. And that's a hinge. 
Ooh, like I like that. And it's really proprioceptive. Like they're able to kind of feel that difference. And you don't even have to have to go all the way down to like 90 degrees where you're hinged all the way. If that's already hurting you, start at 45 degrees, start at 30 degrees. Do that repetitively. Allow your body to get comfortable with that motion. Every single human being on this planet, whether you've had a spinal surgery or not, you should be getting into that position, obviously comfortably and working your way into it. But that your goal should be to do that with at least a little bit of weight eventually, because then you're never going to be able to be functional, pick something up off the ground or Mm -hmm. move it or carry it. And it's such an important task for everyday living. We shouldn't demonize it and we shouldn't be scared to do it. I love it. Absolutely. You're preaching to the choir here. I, I absolutely love it. That is, that is so great. So, um, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. You are yeah. a physical therapist and a lot of runners. Well, unfortunately, a lot of runners get injured every year and the smart ones go to physical therapy, hopefully before they get hurt. But anyway, <laughs> and, and they're given a regiment by their physical therapy therapist of things to do exercises to do. I would love to get into that process just a little bit. And, you know, what's the difference between physical therapy and just strength training overall? Obviously, some of this stuff overlaps, but, you know, let's say I'm hurt. I go to the physical therapist. What's what's the deal there if I've never been? Yeah, good question. I mean, first of all, it's going to vary depending on the person you go to. And that's really, that is kind of the best part. And sometimes not a great part of physical therapy is it's really variable because injuries are so complex in general that there are so many different ways that something can be treated. And I think that's an important um, point to, to make as well. It's like, there's never one routine that you're going to do for every single diagnosis. That's why it's super hard to Google something. Like if, if you're in pain and you're like, what exercises should I do? Um, if you can find something on that, I would probably be weary to do that routine because that's just not how our body works. That's not how we function as humans. And I think to answer your question originally that you said, like, what's the main difference between like physical therapy and a strength routine? I would say it ultimately lies in that big difference is strength routine. You won't, you go in, you're like, I want to work on strength for my hips ton of exercises you can do to work on your hip strength. And it's kind of like it, you progress every week, A to B. It's a nice routine generally. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously there's a little nuance with that as well, but strength training is a little bit more straightforward. When we're talking about physical therapy, I like to say this, I, as a physical therapist, do not treat a diagnosis. I treat the person, which means I'm honestly, if you're going to tell me, Hey, I went to a doctor and they prescribed and they told me that I had plantar fasciitis. I'm going to kind of take that with a grain of salt, not to say that the doctor isn't misleading by any means. It's more just like, that doesn't matter to me as much as your story, as much as what you're going through. When are you experiencing the pain? When was the first time? When did it happen? How are you walking now? Like assessing every single movement that we need to go through to make a more well-rounded and understanding approach to treating you versus, oh, plantar fasciitis, that means you're doing towel crunches, calf raises, like that. It's like, that's not how, I mean, unfortunately there might be some people who treat that way, um, but that's really not how it should be. It, when you're entering a physical therapy um, uh, office, you should really feel like your physical therapist is listening to you as a person and not just Hey, oh, I have IT band pain. I was given clamshells, bridges, and uh, a core exercise, and I was told to go on my way. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I always think that 
the, the communication to me is that much more important. And the understanding that I'm listening to you, I'm understanding you, and this is how we're going to move forward and just being honest with the person. So I think that's a huge Mm -hmm. part of physical therapy, um, that unfortunately not everyone gets, but I think that we are hopefully getting closer to moving in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that is counterintuitive about, uh, physical therapy is that when we are hurt, we're in pain, our natural inclination is to rest. And we want to rest. And, you know, if my IT band hurts, I don't want to be doing exercises that are going to be anywhere near that. You know, if my feet hurt for whatever reason, I don't want to do towel crunches or whatever it is, you know, like I, how does strength work, physical therapy work when you're injured and in pain? Love that. And I I think it kind of goes back to like the deadlift example that I was giving you as a physical therapist. I always try and determine what movements aren't going to bother you. And a lot of that is not just the physical aspect of it, but again, the communication becomes important. Hey, these are the muscles that are working. This is, it's really hard to give an example, but if this is the pain you're experiencing, let's try it out with this kind of smaller movement, or let's just do it while you're pushing into something and maybe nothing's moving, but Mm -hmm. maybe that's not painful. So it's really just figuring out a starting point that is maybe very little pain. Sometimes um, experiencing a little bit of a sensation is okay. And again, another learning point, understanding from your physical therapist, what's okay to push through and what's not okay to push through on a case by case basis. It's different for everyone. Um, But basically it's finding a starting point and making progress towards kind of the end goal for most runners. It's running again, pain-free. And for most common running injuries, I actually have my runners continue running. Um, because for a lot of it, it's like, Oh, every time I get two miles in, that's when I start to feel something and it's really painful or, or I only feel it after my runs. I will usually still have them out there running to a point that's not painful. And that way it allows them to really, first of all, keep doing what they love, albeit at a more limited and modified, um, example, but also it just allows us to make a better understanding and connection of what's going on when you're still getting out there. But aside from that complete rest, isn't always the answer because then it's going to be a lot harder to get back to it. Mm -hmm. If you completely remove that load of running when it usually doesn't have to be completely removed, it's like 10 times harder to come back to it. And I think that's a huge issue too in the physical therapy world. When I'm talking to PTs who don't usually work with runners, the first thing they do is take away that running. And then as soon as they're done with physical therapy, it's like, okay, go back to it. And it's like, but now you're all of a sudden just going to add all of this load out of nowhere. And that's not always the answer. Um, So I know that was a lot of kind of jumbling words in one. (laughs) That is so good because what most people do is say, oh, I'm hurt. I'm going to take this arbitrary amount of time off, let's say a week, or I am going to take two weeks off. They're just making this up. You know, what is seven days? What is 14 days? They're just saying, well, I'm not going to do it for random period of time. And I'm always trying to say, well, let's take it day by day because we don't know what is going to happen. What is a week? What is two weeks? You know? Absolutely. And I think that's super important. It's not to say that rest 
doesn't help because I think in a lot of cases, like you said, like taking one or two days off can be super helpful, taking a weekend off um, for many, many reasons. But yes, what I really don't like is when runners are like, oh, I'm feeling my Achilles, so I'm just going to take the next 14 days off and it's going to be gone after that. And it's like, that's actually not, again, it's not how our bodies work. Like your Achilles was probably bothering you for a reason. It's kind of like a band-aid approach to Mm -hmm. really getting to the root of the issue. And ultimately, usually the root of the issue contains some form of activity or some form of movement. Um, And almost always, especially for tendon type of issues, they like to be loaded. So we got to keep that going. Yeah. Good, good, good. So let's talk about, um, how our strength training should change throughout the year. Let, let's use the example of marathoners. I love, you know, marathoners. Cause it's, you know, if you're running two marathons a year, hopefully training well for each of them, taking two, at least two cycles off each year. Um, you know, what is going to look different? A lot of people tend to just do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yes, this is this is amazing because I feel like so many people don't um, use this even when they're running. But I am such an advocate for taking seasons in both your running and your strength training and having them kind of complement each other. So specifically, if we're talking about marathon runners, uh, obviously, when you're training for a marathon, your mileage is going to be high and you're going to be doing a lot of running. So in that time, I generally like to have most, most of my marathon runners either be really solid in their strength routine and kind of keep that up at a maintenance level or have their strength be on the easier side. So not as heavy, maybe not as loaded and just kind of, again, more just consistency with the difference in movements, not so much like heavy lifting constantly. Um, that being said, that's usually because I like most of my athletes to have an off season in their running when they're focused pretty heavily on strength training. And that often happens, um, you know, before or, uh, a couple months after a marathon training season. So for example, because we're coming up on the fall season, um, a lot of people are in their highest mileage weeks right now. We're coming up in September. I would generally have them maybe take even a month off of running. And that doesn't mean completely off. Maybe you're doing like two or three mile runs here and there, but just kind of relaxed training, not as regimented. And then after that, take three to four months of what I call strength building. And that would be like when you're really working to go heavier in your strength training. Um, And hopefully that will kind of carry you into whatever your next race season is, marathon or half marathon, so that you can kind of keep up that heavier load with the strength. I really don't like introducing that in the middle of a marathon training cycle. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that's often when I get asked to introduce it. And I've had many athletes approach me saying, I'm injured. I have a marathon in a couple months. Can you give me a super hard strength routine? I basically want to strengthen this injury away. And my answer is that's not how this works. Um, right. That is actually probably going to make you more injured because now you are doing a very challenging marathon training program while trying to add a whole challenging strength program at the same time mm-hmm. out of nowhere. 
Yeah. 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 And, and of course, with everything we're saying today, you know, human beings are on a spectrum and some of the more advanced runners can handle more advanced strength training. Some of the new runners who don't have uh, a base of strength will need to do a lot less. So I want to also make sure that it's that there's no one size fits all for everybody. Absolutely. And I, I do agree with that. I think that that also plays into the idea that like some of the more advanced runners probably have a little bit of a background in strength training. So that too, I would say, again, if you have a solid base of your strength routine, if you've taken that time in your you know yearly calendar to work on your strength training, you do not have to limit your strength during your marathon training program. I'm mainly talking about the runners who are like entering a marathon training program, having never really done strength and then just wanting to add that in because maybe something's bothering them in their foot or their knee. And it's like, that's really not how that works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A good distinction, super important distinction. So, um, you know, the next thing that always comes up with any kind of strength training is, should I lift heavy or should I lift light and lots of reps? Does it matter? Can we, can we get strong both ways? Can I just do whatever I want? You know, lift heavy or lift light? Uh, again, depends on the season. However, if we're talking about like a runner who's like, I want to work on getting stronger. Like I am looking to build strength because maybe they have a ton of injuries that they've been through and they don't want that affecting their next race training season. Um, lifting heavy is always going to be the answer there. And for the simple reason that like physiologically, when you're lifting lighter and have many more reps, uh, you're just going to hit a limit with the amount that you can actively change your muscular system. Adding heavier weights is a great way to continue to make progress. And especially when we're talking about, again, breaking down the amount of load that is required um, from your muscular system as a runner. If you are a long distance runner, half marathons, marathons, we're talking thousands of steps a mile for 12 to 26 miles, or maybe even ultra running, right? So we, when we break that down, you might think, well, that's a lot of steps. So that means I need to do a lot of repetitions in my strength workout. That's actually not how it works. I want you to see it differently. Um, again, physiologically, if we break down how our muscles build and how we make them more resilient to load, it's not from the amount of reps we can do something. It's from the amount of strength that, that the amount of load that we're giving it in terms of weight. Um, so that's really when we're going to start to talk about, Hey, lifting heavy is probably the best way to build strength as a runner. Um, and lifting light with many repetitions, isn't going to cut it if you are looking to do that. Yeah. And plus, if we're talking about taking less time in the weight room, obviously exactly. fewer reps, they don't take as long. <laughs> you can, you can get exactly. out of there in and out. Yeah. I also want faster. to touch on, I think so many runners are so used to this feeling of like, you know, when we're running and when we're in a hard uh, training season and we get home from our runs and we're like, man, that was a hard workout. Like I'm sweating, I'm huffing and puffing. Like this was super hard. That was a good workout. That is not how you're going to feel after a good hard workout with your strength training. So runners are so stuck kind of on that like cardiovascular high of like that is what hard feels like. 
That is not what hard feels like in the weight room. You could very easily lift a super heavy weight for like six to eight reps. And yes, it can be challenging, but you're probably not going to feel the same as you are finishing a hard workout. And I think people don't realize that. So then when they do do their strength training, they're like, well, this has done nothing for me. And I'm not doing anything here. And it's like, that's actually not true. We're just looking, we're so used to that almost like high of like what a hard workout running wise feels. And that's not the same thing as what a hard strength workout feels like. So I don't want people to be scared of that. You know? Yeah. And, and soreness is not a badge of courage. We don't want to yes. be sore right. from our strength uh, workouts because then we can't run. <laughs> and, and, and soreness doesn't mean that it was like, if you're not sore, it doesn't mean you didn't have a good workout. And right. I think a lot of, you know, again, it, it's that understanding that like consistency matters most in, in your strength training, progress, you know, progressing the weights, making things harder, if that's what you're looking for in the season that you're in. Um, but then similarly to your running, making sure that you're taking cutback weeks and you're giving yourself recovery time because building muscle doesn't mean just adding weights. It means recovering well as well. Yeah. Great. Great. Perfect. I think that's a good place to kind of segue to something that you've been posting recently online. And I I thought it was really, really relatable and kind of vulnerable. You've been posting about some of your training runs in the hot summer that were honestly not going well. And so I wanted to touch base on that. And first of all, why did you want to share it and what's going on? Um, well, the why on, on me sharing it is first of all, um, Instagram has always felt like a highlight reel to me. I always feel like every time I see, and, and to be completely honest, I'm guilty of that as well, because it is so hard to put a camera on yourself when you're in your lowest moments. Like that's really what I struggle with. And, um, I understand why people want to show their good moments. It makes total sense to me. But I also think, you know, I think a lot of my background as um, an athlete when I was much younger and just recognizing how that has shaped me as an athlete today, like that is such an important part of my story that I want people to understand. And once I started sharing that, it was just such a crazy amount of like relatability of people talking about like that in the comments that it, it made me feel safe and it made me feel comfortable. Like I can keep sharing. Um, and that's kind of how the whole journey started is, is I actually believe it or not, enjoy sharing those moments because I, that's what I'm going through and I'm not Mm -hmm. here to hide anything. Um, I think especially as a physical therapist, one of the hardest moments was a couple of years ago when I myself got injured, you know, I felt like I was a failure and I should have mm. saw that com- coming, but then I also thought, you know, no, that's actually not how injuries work. So I should share this. And that was very vulnerable for me. So, um, you know, not to say that I don't struggle with, with sharing all that stuff. It's more just like, I have become more comfortable because of the response that I get from everyone who follows me on Instagram. So I, you know, thank you to everyone who has followed me and who has given me support on that. Um, and I urge people to do the same because it's really, you know, Instagram can be nice sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> yeah. sure. I'm there all the time. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. So, yeah. you know, 
it's, it's, um, you know, we think that marathon training, yeah, obviously everybody thinks that it's hard, but you know, we think that the people online are just sailing through it and not struggling as much as we are. So, you know, has your training got back on track? You're feeling good again? That's a good question. Back on track, you know, technically, yes. Like if you were to look at my running and, um, and, and the training that my, I have a coach who I work very closely with and he always kind of knows what's going on with me. Um, but yes, on paper training's going great. Um, mentally not as great. I, I trained for New York city last year and I was in a much better headspace. I had a lot less going on personally. Um, and I was more frankly, uh, willing to do it. I, I was more excited. Um, the background story is I'm doing Chicago this year and I, I signed up for the lottery the night after the New York city marathon. So like that night, the day of, <laughs> so you're like basically. in a high, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Not even a high. I was probably in a low because it was one of the hardest days of my life. Oh, okay. I was like, redemption. It was, yeah. It was, it was a redemption sign up and I fully was not expecting to get the lottery. And once I did, I was like, Oh, okay, we're doing this now. And, and I went back and forth on, you know, am I really, should I really be doing this? And um, is it really right for me? And, you know, I don't know if I've even gotten that answer yet. I just kind of continued with it. Um, but a lot of the conversation has been with my coach about what can I, what do I feel comfortable doing? Um, so my training plan looks a lot different than it did last year. Um, less hard workouts, a little bit lower mileage. Um, and I'm just kind of cruising. Honestly, it, from that standpoint, it might even be a healthier way to approach this marathon. Last year, I put a lot of pressure on myself and mm -hmm. I was very focused on my paces and my workouts. This time I'm giving myself much more grace, which is probably what I need to get through this. Um, but I'm, I would be lying if I said it was perfect. And, and really, I think what I'm struggling the most with is it feels like a chore. Um, mm -hmm. So I know that the way that I'm going to manage that is just by taking some time off after this. Um, you know, we have eight and a half weeks left, so almost there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I can totally relate to that. I was in a similar, you know, drive, drive, go, go, go. And the thing that actually got me to my dream goals was taking out a speed day and dropping my mileage. And when I did yeah. that, everything changed for the better. I'm not saying everyone should drop their speed day, but I'm just saying after a while, you've built up so much pressure and, yeah. you know, so much fitness that you can take a step back and things are actually a lot better mentally and sometimes physically. So it's so uh, true. It's so true. And it's so important to, to note that as well. I think that we're all stuck on this idea that like a training plan, a has to go perfectly. Um, and B has to look a certain way with speed workouts, all of that type of stuff. And I think that when we're looking at what makes a difference in our training as a whole, it's really our mentality and our mindset and the amount of stress that we're experiencing. If a speed day is stressing you out, it is not worth the benefits that you're going to get from that speed workout. It's Absolutely. actually much better for you from a training perspective to drop it. So I think that's important to note, I, you know, it's hard to do in practice, but I commend yeah. you for being able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, something had to give, but you know, so, you yeah, got to remember exactly. we're doing this for fun, right? 
right? We're t- <laughs> sort of. Sort of reminder. A, a strange kind of fun, a sort of demented, yes. twisted, torturous so kind true. of fun. <laughs> well, I think that is a pretty good place to kind of wrap this up. But before I let you go, Victoria, I want to ask you one question. Um, what's the greatest gift that running has given you? The greatest gift that running has given me, honestly, is the strength and the resiliency that I feel. Um, And not from nailing a workout, but from being consistent and from setting my mind to something and following through with that. I think that's super important for me. I'm also like very routine oriented. So I like the idea that running is there for me. Um, but also I can find the strength to take an unplanned rest day, do something a little bit different sometimes. Um, and that's really the, what I love the most about running. Perfect. Perfect. Well, where can uh, listeners connect with you if they would like, uh, more of you? Instagram is the best place at train smart run strong. I also have a website trainsmartrunstrong.com uh, and I'm on TikTok, but most of my TikTok <laughs> stuff goes on Instagram anyways. <laughs> okay, perfect. Perfect. And you um, mentioned that you have a little freebie for um, the people listening. Yes. So if you are interested, I have like a strength for runners, um, very easy to follow program. Um, it's, it's on my app train smart run strong as well. I make it easy for everyone. Um, so if you DM me and you said you listened to this, uh, this podcast, then I'll send you a seven day free trial link. Perfect. Perfect. And we'll have that also in our show notes. Thank you so much. I loved this conversation. It was great to talk with you. It was so great. Thank you for having me. And now it's time for the mental strength minute, fortify your mind in 60 seconds or less. Today's topic is get comfortable with boredom. By definition, endurance running takes a long time and is going to involve a lot of long, boring miles. Our attention spans in the modern world are getting shorter and shorter, and we are more easily annoyed by boredom. But if you learn to recognize and accept that, yes, you will be bored, and that's okay, you can shrink the level of annoyance all the way to zero. Of course, you can entertain yourself while you run with podcasts and music, but allowing yourself to be bored at times can be a real mental strength technique. Anytime we are uncomfortable and yet we push through it, we are stronger for it. Pushing through boredom can be a low-risk way to challenge yourself and build your confidence that, yes, you can do hard things. Thank you for listening to or watching The Planted Runner, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Don't forget that you can win a copy of my book for leaving an Apple Podcast review, so be sure to write yours right after your run today. Reviews are the number one way to boost this show's reach, and it's a great way to tell me what you'd like to hear next, because I read every single one. Have a great run today. Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life. Because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell, and this is where you'll find those stories. 
I am host and producer Cherie Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner, and together with original music by musician and runner Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures.